This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. And you're not oh, yeah. doing it. Someone's like, you're eating breakfast? I don't yeah, eat breakfast. Like, I eat it new. I'm like, so yeah. not cool anymore to eat breakfast. Yeah. I know. Always been a lot of people who hated breakfast. And I feel like they were mm-hmm. so happy mm-hmm. that they now they have get their this excuse. <laughs> and they could be like, well, I'm intermittent fasting. It's like, no, you just always hated breakfast. Let's be <laughs> honest. And you're using this so that you can justify not doing it. But I'm still a big breakfast mm-hmm. eater, believer, preacher. And I am team breakfast all the way. Let's take a breath. Hi guys, I'm Sydney Lodwaco and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I share the mic with people you may recognize, experts in their fields, people I find inspirational, or people who make me laugh, like my fiance Nick, giving them a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Wednesday or whatever day it is for you. I'm just glad you're here. Today we have Lisa Moskovitz on the podcast. She is a registered dietitian. She's known as the diet neutral dietitian. I love Lisa's approach to nutrition. She utilizes this idea of body neutrality and she helps women and people to quiet the diet noise. Food isn't just about diet and eating healthy and cutting carbs and vegetables, so much more that goes into it, especially if you are trying to reach a certain level with your health. Maybe you're trying to gain weight for something or lose weight for something or just feel like you have more energy or sleep better or whatever it is. It all relates not only to the food that we're eating, but also our approach to food, how we show up to a meal, how we treat our body through exercise. There's so much goes into this lifestyle of nutrition and healthy eating and healthy relationship to food. I know for myself, I struggled with this for so, so many years from being in a dance environment, whether it is outright said or not, there's always this pressure of looking a certain way presenting a certain way and essentially being skinny and that can be very hard on your mental health and how you view food. I am someone who loves food. It was the thing that we did with our family. We always gathered around food. Food was a celebration for me growing up. So then coming into this environment where food was seen as negative or something that you had to control yourself around or something that you had to manage, it's really hard to be in that headspace and not make food and diet and exercise your entire being. It can consume so much of your headspace when you're in that place of speaking badly to yourself about your body or struggling with trying to control food and things like that. So I went through a long period of that and I had to do a lot of unlearning and learning what nutritious eating looked like, learning to not control so much and learning to not see certain foods as good or bad or trying to overexercise or overcompensate for something that I would eat or whatever it was at the time. And I will say from experience, once I was able to get out of that place and not constantly be thinking about food and what I was eating and controlling, there's so much more freedom at the other end of that where your headspace isn't being taken up by just what you're eating, what you're consuming for that day and what you are trying to control. And instead, you have all this space left for all the things that you care about that doesn't revolve around food and there's less charge around meals and eating and things like that. So I love Lisa's approach and how she helps her clients and people who read her book with this concept of body neutrality 
healthy eating and understanding what your body needs versus control and a negative approach to diet and a healthy lifestyle. I actually was a client of her practice many years ago. We looked it up before this interview and I guess I went to her office in 2015. And what I learned from my time with her, I went to like, I think one session with one of her other RDs in her practice. And I just learned what food was best for my energy, where I was over consuming without really realizing that I was, I had a really big problem with chips and hummus. It was just my go-to. And I didn't realize that chickpeas or hummus was actually a carbohydrate. So just relearning how to create my plate to have a really healthy balance digestion and keeping me full and sustained for a long period of time. So Lisa talks us through all of that and what we should be looking for, for building up good, healthy plate, how to sustain our energy, what proteins, fibers, greens are good for doing that and just her approach to what healthy eating is and how we can unlearn some of those habits. Maybe if you're struggling with control around food or seeing food in a negative way or obsessing around the idea of food, she has all these practices in order to unlearn that and find a new way to approach eating in a healthy lifestyle. She is the CEO of the New York Nutrition Group, which is the practice that I went to back in 2015. And her book is The Core 3 Healthy Eating Plan. It's an awesome book. I read through it right before this interview. She has great recipes in the back and a really good clear explanation of understanding food, eating for sustained energy and fullness and all of that good stuff. So I think you're really going to like this episode. And Lisa is so great. And I know that you're going to love her. So if you know someone who is trying to understand food better or diet and lifestyle or someone who is maybe struggling with control around food or whatever that is, maybe send this episode their way. I also ask her about some diet trends like keto and intermittent fasting and the latest thing that's been on the news a lot, Ozempic and all of those crash diets that celebrities are doing. So we talk through that towards the end of the episode. So make sure you stay tuned to the end. My something to share. It is the first week of spring. Thank goodness we are here. Spring for me feels like a transition and a, a nice season for new beginnings. So I wrote a list of the things that I'm looking forward to in spring and I try to keep it away from just the wedding. But Things that I'm looking forward to as we're ending this season of winter and being inside and this period of like hibernation almost or just like very coziness and going into this new season. So I wrote a list. Maybe it's something that you want to do just to like have a list of things that you're looking forward to. I have some influencer friends that do this and it's really fun to just write a list for themselves of things that you're excited about or things that are coming up. Mine is very simple and I'm really excited about getting to walk outside again, feeling the sunshine on my skin, not having to layer up a million things in one day, getting some vitamin D and not having to supplement so much like I have been. I really had some low vitamin D in the winter, so I'm really craving some sunshine, um, fresh lighter foods. Like I made this really big salad last night. It was super good. Just lighter, healthier foods. And I, I feel like I can eat big salads in the spring. I can't really do it in the winter. I, I like warmer stews and rice and things like that in the winter. So I'm excited for these big salads and things like that. Summery drinks, my Aperol spritz again, all of those fruity, fun summer drinks. Big celebrations, obviously, like the wedding coming up and bridal showers, all that good stuff. Traveling to see my family soon. And then just in general, more time outside. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Maybe make a list for yourself for what you're looking forward to this week. I hope you guys are doing well and that you love this episode. Please share it on social media. Tag us at Something to Share Podcast if you resonated with any part of this episode. And before you go, make sure you leave a five-star review. Without further ado, guys, here is Lisa Moskovitz. 
Lisa, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well on this snowy, cold, wintry morning in New York City, mm. uh, but everything is good. Wow, thank you. I don't miss the walking, trudging through the snow or the rain. We have just slush. It's not pretty white snow. It's just dirty ground slush. But the good thing is that it's like in the suburbs when it snows, everything really does stop. It's so hard to think about shoveling the driveway. Am I going to be able to get through the streets? Am I going to? The city really, we don't have that. Again, it's just kind of puddles. Yeah. Of dirty brown water. So at least, <laughs> you know, life goes on in the city. We we can't let anything stop us over here. Never. You can't. I, yeah, I, I remember that well. I Just guess. the brown snow piled on top all the way up to like the light pole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> gorgeous. It's beautiful. Very gorgeous. Nice. I love it. All right. Well, let's jump into my first initial questions before we jump into all things nutrition. I would love to ask you to so show and tell. So an uh, object either from your nightstand, something surprising, anything with an interesting backstory, anything that brings up for you. Okay. So I have to be honest. I am a person that hates having a lot of things around like clutter mm-hmm. gives me anxiety. One of those, I wouldn't call myself OCD, but I'm definitely the person that freaks out when I see a lot of things around it's caused fights. So it's not a great look, but it is what it is. So I don't have a whole lot. I will say the two most meaningful things in my life are my family and my career. And those are definitely demonstrated by things you will see on my nightstand of the very few things that are and stay and live on the tables around my bed. So the first thing is I have this little, and I it's kind of up higher on the shelf, so I could grab it, but a little book of the sonogram from my twins. I made a little book and I'm really not a sentimental person. Sometimes I really wish I could be that person that saves everything and collages and keeps it around, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, but this is one thing that it meant so much. Cause it did take me a long time to mm-hmm. get pregnant with them. I struggled a lot. Fertility It's a whole other topic and beast, but Um, it was when I finally got pregnant, it was, I was so happy and excited. And so I was one of very few that loved my pregnancy. I know so many people can roll their eyes who've been pregnant because it's, there's a lot of parts about it that can be very horrible. But for me, I was so excited to be pregnant because it took me a while. So, um, I have a whole little book of just the, the sonograms that I gathered throughout the nine months. And I have that in a little book right near my bed. And then I also have a new book I'm reading just for professional development and bettering myself as a dietitian. And I always am looking to learn new techniques and get new perspectives. And I'm a big, a podcast listener. And I just think that if you think you know everything about everything, then you actually know nothing. Mm-hmm. And I and I really believe that a lot of my progress professionally is due to my never ending quest for more information. So I'm an information seeker. I love to be inspired. I love to get new perspectives. And so I have a motivational interviewing book also on my nightstand. But that's it. Those are really my two biggest things. And otherwise I got a tissue box, a fake plant, because I have do not have a green thumb and I end up I do have some real plants, but they always end up dying. Mm-hmm. And uh my laptop. I love it. So that's that's kind of it. I think that says a lot about you. <laughs> I, and I love that you're not cluttered. I think that's something that's necessary if I, it sounds like you don't live in New York City anymore, but it's just you, you need less and it's good for yeah. anxiety and letting go. And what is the book that you're reading? Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness by Don Clifford and Laura Curtis. And the reason I like it is because it really aligns with 
what I believe in and my philosophy, which is that there is no one size fits all diet. It does tap into more intuitive eating, listening to your body. It molds really nicely into that Mm -hmm. framework. Listen, different strokes for different folks. And there are people that really providers and patients alike who really like the, just give me a diet plan. This is what I need. This is what I came for. This is what's going to help me. And that self-awareness is wonderful. And if you, you know, what's best for your body. I always say you're, you're the boss of your body, but this is not a one and done thing. This is for providers and patients who want to explore their relationship with their body and Mm -hmm. food that want to um, really make permanent long lasting changes to the their behaviors and their thinking patterns and reframe their thoughts around food and fitness. And so that's why I really enjoy it. And it helps for providers to get on the same level of their patients and not jump into, here's this thing that you should do. And here's a diet that you need. And these are the foods that you should eat. And here's 10 pages of snack options mm-hmm. that you can eat and choose. And I've been there, done that professionally. Uh-huh. And I've just seen how it really doesn't work for most people. They don't, a meal plan isn't going to help you when you're stressed and have an urge to eat something and have strong cravings and the fridge is right in front of you. And there's all this food there. And, you know, a, a, even the most well-crafted created plans are not going to help when you're in those moments. You need way more tools than that. Yeah. And I'm sure with what you do, it's a lot of reading in between the lines of people. And maybe they're saying like, oh, I only eat this three times a day and I don't eat anything extra. I understand why I'm gaining weight. And I'm sure there's so many things in between the lines, like maybe they're going through something emotionally, or maybe they have a different attachment to food that they're not telling you. So I think there's a lot more to what you do than just like here's your diet plan. Have a nice day. It sounds like there's a lot more that goes into it. A hundred percent. That's so important. People come in and they say, I want to lose weight. And it's so easy for whoever you're meeting with the provider to jump to assumptions and just make recommendations and suggestions. And they, and they just kind of jump right into that. Mm-hmm. And then you might find yourself even getting resistant and backing away and feeling overwhelmed and unseen Mm -hmm. and not listened to. And that's because you didn't take the time to read between the lines and read the fine print and see what's behind that. And what do you really need? What are your specific struggles and obstacles? Because at the end of the day, you're the one that has to do it. No, you can't have the person with you all the time. You can't have a dietitian in your back pocket or a personal trainer in your back pocket. Maybe one day with AI, who knows? Yeah what we, what we'll come up with, but you can't. So you need, you need to come to that understanding and willingness and find something that just really resonates and clicks. And you could be told something, the same thing, Mm -hmm. 10 different times, but in 10 different ways. And depending on the time that you hear it, you might be more willing to receive it. And then it can resonate and click and help you spring into action. So That's also very interesting that sometimes you do need different perspectives and opinions. You might be hearing the same thing over and over and following accounts on social media that say the same things over and over and listening podcasts that say the same, but but it's to take that one person to put it in that one way Mm -hmm. that it finally clicks and it starts to become more internalized in a positive way. And so that's also interesting to me. It's something I observe with a lot of people over the years where they'll come to me. My doctor told me this and I started doing that and I'm like... I love that. Love that for you. I we did talk about that a hundred times, but you know what? I don't care. Yeah. I'm just happy that whatever 
whatever, whoever told it to you and the way they told it to you, it worked. And that's all I care about. And so that's why, you know, I noticed that so much over the years. I don't get frustrated. I say, I'm, I'm ha- just happy it finally set in. That's how my dad yeah. is. He'll like, we'll tell him forever. Like, you can't eat that. You should be watching this. You should be doing this. Oh, yeah. And then the second he like has a doctor or someone professional tell him, he's like, you guys, you should be doing like he tells us the same thing we've been telling him for years that we should be doing it now. I'm like, you don't remember when we told you that 20 no. million times. So, yeah, a lot of people are like that. The best. I know. And it's hard not to get frustrated. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, look, at least somebody got to yeah. you. Know? We got there. We don't know how, but we made it. Um, one more question <laughs> before we jump into everything nutrition, anything that's been on your heart or mind lately, it could be related to your work or just really anything. You know, as a business owner, I have always have the thoughts of I could be doing more and comparing is really hard not to do. And the imposter syndrome is so real with everything. So I'm always looking for ways to improve. I've been going through a lot of changes in my business lately, Mm -hmm. some good and some very stressful. And so that's taking the front seat mentally right now. Otherwise, this is not the time or the place, but, but, you know, there's so much going on in the world Mm -hmm. and it's as a a mother and, Mm -hmm. and as a person just with a soul and a heart, you know, it is, you just feel like, when is it going to end? There's just so many things happening in our world, in our country, mm-hmm. that it always kind of, as I get older and older, I used to be the person that was just like, you know what? Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And I'd rather, this might sound really horrible, but I'm like, you know what? I'd rather just be happy and dumb. <laughs> just not read the news. Yeah. Not know. And I was like that for most of my 20s. Focus on my career, and I would really just skip over the news, skim over the mm-hmm. news. But as you get older, you just kind of realize I got to tap in more. Yeah. I got to know what's going on. And I want to know what's going on so that I can... I can make changes in my life, protect my family. So mm-hmm. I would say that's always on the other half of my brain, Yeah, you know, family and career, like I said, kind of boring, but that's, it is what it is. I mean, that's nice for someone like you to say, who has a practice twins, yes. you, you're a mom, you have a book, like yeah. you have a lot, you've done a lot. There's like, someone will look at you and think like, she has it going on. She's got nothing to worry about. She doesn't compare herself to anything. So it's nice. It's refreshing to hear that too. Oh, yeah. Not at all. Yes. And I agree. And I love hearing that from other people mm-hmm. who I look up to. And I say the same thing. I'm like, wow, look at all they're doing. You know, they must be so happy and successful and know everything and doing it all right. Yeah. And then as soon as you start to meet people, you get more confident because you're like, oh, we're all the same. We're all the same here. We're all just trying to figure it out as we go. And I can't say that I'm doing anything very different than anybody else. You know, you just can't be afraid to try. And I always, I'm that definitely that person that goes from zero to 60 and I just throw everything against the wall and whatever sticks, that's what I keep pursuing. And I've just always been like that. Just we'll figure it out when it comes. Let's just do it. Let's hire people. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we'll learn as we go. And that's been my, my MO for most of my adulthood. Yeah. I feel very connected to you because I lived in New York for nine years and you just remind me of like that go getter woman that I love so much and admire. So I feel it. Let's talk nutrition because that's what we're here for essentially. And I know that you are a big person that talks about body neutrality and this idea of body image and how much that actually affects like your relationship to food, how you eat, all of those things in your practice and working with clients. Was that something that you knew from the beginning or is that something that you understood from working with more people? Like, how did you get to that point with what you do? Oh, yeah. No. When I first started out, and I think most dietitians and anyone in the fitness and health field at all will say that things have changed exponentially Mm -hmm. and tremendously. 
throughout the past decade. When I first started 10 years ago, um, it was a very different world. Dietitians were, you know, the authorities of healthy eating and everybody in the obesity epidemic was reverberated across the country. And we need to help people control their portions and teach them what's good and what's bad and what's healthy and what's unhealthy. And nobody has willpower and we all need more self-control. And it was so black and white. Mm -hmm. It was so authoritative again. And I think a lot of people would just end up feeling bad. Rebound weight gain and overeating and feeling out of control around food was such a problem. And again, it was just what we knew in the world of nutrition science. Psychology wasn't really incorporated Mm -hmm. that much. It was to a certain extent, but not as much as it is now. And for the first few years of working in private practice, because I wasn't always in private practice, but private practice is very different than working in a, in a hospital setting mm-hmm. or a nursing home setting, which is where I started off in a nursing home setting because wow. um, I wanted to get my clinical experience before I jumped into private practice. I was definitely helping people with weight loss and getting on the scale and teaching them about portion control and calories and try this alternative when you have a sweet tooth. It was really difficult. And even to the point where it got unfulfilling even a little boring. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I'm doing anything mm-hmm. right now. I feel like I'm, I, I'm making things worse. It's, it's harder for people. They come in for the accountability and the support and we're not getting anywhere. And I don't want to say that across the board. And I, and I will say there was a lot, I had a lot of, and as other dietitians did too, with this approach, I did have success and people did lose weight and they felt great. And they loved having that accountability and coming in and weighing themselves and looking at food records. And we still do that to a certain yeah. extent. But now we understand how important it is to incorporate the psychology. In fact, if you're a dietitian in 2023 and you're not incorporating psychology with physiology, you're behind. You're way behind. We need to step up and we need to help because not everybody has a therapist. Therapists don't understand a lot of the nuances that we do when it comes to relationship with food and body image issues. That has to be our place. You know, there are therapists that do and probably could do it better and have the bandwidth to do it better than us. But I believe all dietitians should be incorporating that, should understand how to screen for eating disorders and disordered eating yeah. because we can so easily and often be part of the problem. And I'm sure that things I said to people back in the day didn't help their relationship with food Mm -hmm. could have made it worse. And I take full ownership for that and accountability that there was probably a time where I, I didn't help them and probably made it worse. So all of that has helped me become the, the provider I am today. I've gained so many tools and knowledge and experience, what works, what doesn't work, learning that there is not one thing that will work for everybody in general. And I do feel like at this point, thanks to the anti-diet movement and the intuitive eating book Mm -hmm. that was created by two dietitians in the late 90s, Mm. interestingly, now it's becoming more popular, even though it was born, you know, over 20 years ago. Thanks to all of that, people are becoming more aware. Mm -hmm. People are seeing red flags. They're paying attention more to... I feel more stressed around food. This can't be good for me. I feel more out of control. It's likely because I'm controlling too much, mm-hmm. not because I don't have willpower. They stop blaming themselves as much. They're stopping internalizing these ideas, these very polarizing dichotomous views of food. This is good. This is bad. And they're realizing there are other ways. They don't need to be stick figures and look like runway models Mm -hmm. that most people don't look like. And runway models don't even look like themselves because that's even filtered and 
fake half the time. So people have woken up and they're realizing that we have to move away from that. We don't have to move away from weight loss. I'm not Mm anti-weight loss. And I, there are diets that aren't specific to weight loss that can be really helpful, like elimination diets Mm -hmm. for people with GI issues or autoimmune conditions or certain symptoms or hormonal imbalances. So I'm not against that. I'm also not against all diets. I think weight loss diets can be helpful for people, but we can't just assume that diets are a good fit for everybody. We can't reinforce the idea that there's good and bad food Mm -hmm. that you need to lose weight to be healthy. We can't continue that idea. That's also not true for some people. There might be people that say, I feel healthier losing weight. And there's people that lose weight that lower their blood sugar, their A1C, their cholesterol, their triglycerides. They stop having back pain and knee pain. They sleep better. Their sleep apnea starts to improve. You know, So there's definitely symptoms that can improve and they can notice that with weight loss. Mm -hmm. But I'm just sick of hearing patients come to me and saying, my doctor just told me to lose weight. Mm. I have sleep apnea. My doctor just told me to lose weight. I have high cholesterol. My doctor just told me to lose weight. It's dismissive, not true a lot of the time. And it's reductive. It makes them seem like it's just, okay, that's all I have to do. Calories in, calories out. And yeah. it's and it's not easy. So no, that was a very long-winded answer, but <laughs> so yes, it sounds like that it's very connected to emotions, our relationship to food, and what we developed, like childhood. Or for me, a lot yeah. of the times it was environments that I was in. Like I love food; I've always loved food. But I would be, I danced, so I was in an environment with all women who had a lot of pressure to look a certain way, to a perform, to yes. b get a job, to c look good in a costume. There was just yeah. like so many elements that were put onto what I probably already had with growing up with food. So there's so many factors. It is really hard. Yeah. There's so many factors. And you know what? And that is really hard. And we have clients in our practice who are dancers, performers, actors, and they come in and they'll say, I understand that this might not be so healthy, but it's my career. I don't have a choice. I was casted for this role and it requires me to stay within this weight range, or I have to get up on stage and dance around. And if I'm not a certain weight, they can't lift me up or I can't. So there's times where it's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, the career you choose sometimes dictates that and that, and there's nothing we can do about it, but to try to help people do it in the healthiest way. But when it comes to the average person who doesn't have to be a certain size, they just really want to, and that want becomes somehow a requirement in their life. It is really difficult. And I think the worse you feel about yourself and the way you look, because body image is not how you look. Mm -hmm. It's how you feel Mm -hmm. about what you see in the mirror. And the worse people feel about that, we do see a very positive correlation to relationship with food. It deteriorates. It's hard to trust food when you don't trust your body. And if you're trying so hard, if weight loss is the sole objective, then it will be nearly impossible to trust food, give yourself permission to eat what you want, not feel guilty after eating certain foods, not obsess and not try to compensate Mm -hmm. for eating something that you didn't want to or feeling like you overate. People say, oh, you know, when I lose weight, I'll just work on my relationship with food. I'll do that later. I just need to get down to the size and then I'll be ready. And I have to explain to them, some people figure that out on their own that that's not the case. And a lot of people, I have to explain, when you lose weight, you might be even more scared. Now you have more to lose. Now it's like, okay, I don't want to start eating this. Now I don't want to start eating bagels and pizza and pasta because, you know, what if I gain the weight back? Yeah. I have it now. Now I actually own it and it's mine and I don't want to lose mm-hmm. it. And that makes it harder. 
or it's not enough. Or they're like, well, I lost weight and I thought I'd be happy here, but I'm actually not because losing weight doesn't automatically improve body image. Mm -hmm. That's the secret. Just because you lost weight or you, you know, toned up or you build more muscle or you went tanning or you got plastic surgery, it doesn't automatically, there's nothing wrong with that either. Mm -hmm. There's, it doesn't automatically improve your body image because that's deeper. That's something that comes from the inside. If someone's coming to you like that, who's like, I, because I remember when I was in that headspace of like food was consuming me and looking a certain way was consuming me. One, I, I think I ended up doing the opposite for myself where I like held on to weight because my body was like freaking out. And then two, once, yes. even though I got really thin, I didn't feel thin. I didn't feel like I was there. I just, my conception of what I actually look like was very different from like how I felt. So what do you, how do you help those people? Cause I had a, like a great understanding of like what foods were healthy. I love podcasts. I love listening about all those things, but like I understood it, but then my, my vision of how I felt about myself was like very disconnected. How do you help those people? Do you tell them to go to therapy or is it like something more? Yes, to all of that. I mean, I think therapy is very important because it could stem on a more serious and deeper note, not always. Like there's sometimes there is underlying depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. and things like that that need to be sorted out with a licensed therapist. Body image can be done with a dietitian as well. And it just takes reframing your thoughts around your body, going through assumptions of, oh, when I assume that being thin will make my life so much better. Then it makes me want to restrict, like going through the motions of what's happening mm-hmm. in your mind and how it's playing out can be so powerful. Just that awareness, body checking, looking in the mirror. The more you look in the mirror, the more you're going to find problems. It is what it is. Yeah. Like most of the time, people that stare at themselves in the mirror, yes, there's times that pe- people love themselves. Some people love themselves and they love the way they look. And that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. But for most people, the more they're looking, the more they're trying to find problems and they will, if you're looking for Mm -hmm. it. So the body checking, trying to be aware of that and limiting that. Sometimes it's, you know, we have to look outside and mute. You don't have to unfollow and like, you know, some kind of vengeful hate thing where you're just unfollowing every account that's a, but just muting people for a little while taking a detox from the accounts that do trigger you mm. not doing certain things that can make you feel worse about your situation until you're you're in a better place can also be helpful um working on positive affirmations saying things that are positive about yourself before you walk away from the mirror, especially when you're, when you catch yourself in a negative headspace with, Oh, look at this, look at that. My stomach is this, my legs are that my skin is this trying to, before you walk away to say one positive thing about yourself can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different exercises that we do with our clients and that can be done to improve. It's, definitely not overnight. I always say body image issues don't happen overnight. So it can take some time to, for it to be better, but just for people talking about it, you know, yeah. because it's hard to talk about that with people that don't understand, or you don't want to open that up. You know, you don't want to invite commentary. Um, some people have family that makes it worse. Mm-hmm. They have <laughs> parents or siblings who add Mm -hmm. to their body image issues and their negative view of how they look. And some people have friends that just don't understand, or you don't want to offload on them, or they might add to the negativity that circulates your mindset. So sometimes just having that place to go and turn to, and then just that neutrality, which people might you know know about Mm -hmm. or hear about is respecting and appreciating your body for what it can do versus what it looks like. Like I 
might hate the cellulite on my legs, but guess what? These legs got me through that full marathon that I ran, or I hate my, you know, my stomach. It's okay. First of all, acknowledge it's okay to not like the way you look too. Mm -hmm. That's so liberating. You don't have to love the way you look all the time. You don't have to be the person that's like, oh, I shouldn't talk badly about myself. That's so bad. We don't want to do it all the time. We don't want to do it around certain people, but it's okay to not love the way you look because it's human. It's just, there's going to, we're all human. We're, we're, we're supposed to be imperfect beings. So, but saying, I don't love my stomach, but guess what? My stomach gave me these children or this child, or, you know, for people that I know that doesn't apply to everybody. And for some people they're going through fertility issues and that thought can make it much harder, Mm -hmm. but finding something that you're proud of yourself that you've accomplished can give you this whole new profound view of yourself and your body and be and being more a little bit more grateful for it. I love that. And I love that you're considering that with people who are walking into your office. I told you this before, but I did yeah. go into New York Nutrition Group in 2015, I guess we found yes. out. So small world. Yeah, yeah. it's such a Light, remember life in 2015. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Very different than now. Yeah. Um, but I remember going into it and it's super emotional because like one, you're, you're there for a reason, whether it's like your relationship with food or for in my case at the time, like I wanted to, I had to like lose a little bit of weight. I wasn't like getting jobs or what we talked about, but And my mom told me to go in there, but it was, I needed to, it was good. But I learned a lot about just what I was eating and what foods were actually doing. And I read this in your book too, a lot of like your core three and learning about food, I think is also super helpful. So I think the problem too, with food and diet and everything, it is an industry and it's very confusing and there's so many diets and there's so many different people telling you you should eat this way or do this. So like, what's the right way of going about dieting? Say if your goal is to lose weight, we'll start there. Like if you go into your office, like what do you tell people? Oh my God. Yeah. There's so much noise. People have so many opinions about doing this or doing that. And they say it in a way that can be so convincing. And it's like, oh, they must know what they're talking about. I got to follow this. So it is so hard to navigate through it. And really the first step when we first meet with somebody is asking them questions to figure out what their beliefs are. I want to know where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I want to know what ideas you have in your mind. I want to know what you think will help you, what you think won't help? What are some challenges you have? What do you expect from this before I jump in and give you suggestions and recommendations? So that's always the first step is sometimes you have to know what's, you have to unlearn Mm -hmm. certain things and figure out what's not going to work before we can learn new methods that will work. Mm -hmm. It's a slower process in the beginning. I do try to incorporate working on relationship with food and combining that with having more knowledge about how to eat healthy and balanced for you, Mm -hmm. for that specific person. Because there, again, is no one size fits all. Everybody does have different needs. We do like to consider and incorporate someone's medical history. In fact, most of our patients and clients come to us because they might have PCOS or hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's or GI issues that they can't eat salads every day Mm -hmm. because they have IBS or SIBO or they just get really bloated Mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable. Also going into okay, let's talk about this past week. How was that? And they'll say, well, I really fell off track because this happened unexpectedly or because I didn't sleep so well and I woke up and I felt like I was, that I skipped breakfast and that I was really hungry or I didn't plan ahead enough. Or so it's talking through these real life 
situations that kind of happen to all of us Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, well, look, you know, don't beat yourself up. This is how you can handle that. You have to know that if you ate a little bit more, maybe it's because your body needed it. But at the same time, let's look back a little bit further and see if there was something that next time you can put into play that will help you get through that and handle that a little better. And the goal is to really help people say that no matter what happens, I can handle it. I can figure it out. I go to a restaurant. I don't know anything on the menu. I can't even understand half the menu. It's okay. I get something that's fried, God forbid, fried or covered in cream sauce. That's okay. I'll eat it. I'll enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it will be enjoyable. And then moving on the next day, back to the regular program. It's when you beat yourself up. It's when you start telling yourself, shoulda, woulda, coulda, that was so bad. Why did I do that? That people either go in one direction or or another. They either say, I already did that. So I might as well keep going. I already (laughs) ate this. I might as well double down and just keep going Mm -hmm. here. Uh, What's another five pieces of, you know, cookies or five slices of pizza. Um, and those are not bad foods, but just an example of what people think of as bad and okay, I ate that, or they resort to compensation by, okay, I ate that. Now I got to go to the gym, do a two, a two, a two a day or twice in a day workout yeah. tomorrow, <laughs> or now I have to restrict tomorrow. And all they're doing without realizing it is reinforcing and perpetuating the cycle, the all or nothing mindset, that all or nothing cycle, the proverbial, I'm on the diet, I'm off the diet, I'm doing well, I'm doing awful, I'm good, I'm bad. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and it's just like, when does it end? And that is really hard to get out of. And that's probably the number one pattern that we see with people is that all or nothing, black and white, in or out, that's not how love works. It's just not. That's not, if you're, if you are trying to do it all, eventually you're going to do nothing. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, you can't do it all. Yeah, you can't. I would do both of those things. So I've been there and I've unlearned it and it's yeah. kind of helpful. If someone wants to plan like, okay, I want to eat healthy. I want to I want to lose some weight here. I want to know what to eat because I think that's what's really confusing. Yes. Like what should they be looking yes. for in a day, maybe in like a meal? How do we plan that? And I always want to preface it and prep it by saying that everyone's different. But generally, uh, I always say balanced meal and you don't have to eat balanced at every meal by the way and every meal doesn't have to be super healthy to have a healthy balanced diet and be a healthy person however ideally you know especially for people that go get overwhelmed or confused about what to eat want to include some type of lean protein some type of fiber and some type of anti-inflammatory fat and that is the trifecta that will help keep your blood sugar stable keep you full give your body the major nutrients that it needs that combination also digests more slowly which is what we want because mm-hmm. the slower it digests, the longer we stay full, the better our blood sugar. And subsequently, even our hormones can stay harmonious and happy. And so that is the winning combination. Protein, lean protein. So whether that's if, we're, if you are somebody that eats animal protein, animal foods in your diet, that's fish, lean protein. Uh, white meat chicken or chicken breast, mm-hmm. white meat turkey, eggs, tofu. Also, I know that's not that can you can eat that on a plant and animal based diet, mm-hmm. and uh, lean beef even is okay. If you are not eating animal proteins, you can get it from like I mentioned tofu. Uh, if you're vegetarian, you still eat dairy. Greek yogurt, cheese is a good source of protein. If you're not eating dairy, if you're vegan, beans, soy, those are also great sources of protein. And then for the fiber, we're talking about 
plenty of vegetables. In fact, making half of your plate vegetables mm -hmm. is always something to aim for. We're not looking for perfection. It doesn't have to be at every meal. There's going to be meals you don't have vegetables. There's days I don't have a vegetable, to be honest. Like I don't have the perfect diet. I'm just doing the best I can mm -hmm. also, which is what I what I preach, trying to get that in as much as you can. Or if it's not from vegetables, a high fiber starch like quinoa or bean pasta or whole wheat pasta or whole grain or sprouted grain bread or crackers. So sweet potato. So all of those would, co would count in that category. And then for the anti-inflammatory fat, we're talking about extra virgin olive oil, avocado, nuts, seeds, avocado oil, those types of foods. Talk to me through flexible carbs, which was something in your book that you mentioned, and I'm intrigued. <laughs> so I believe that it is important to always include foods that you love. All foods can fit. If you are avoiding things, especially foods that you enjoy and you crave and you like to eat and you look forward to eating, then you're back into the restrictive dieting. The saying is 95% of diets fail. Mm -hmm. Most diets fail. And I just think it's because we're so restrictive and unrealistic. And if you don't include foods that you love, at some point, it will backfire. You will want it. You will crave it again. It will be there. Mm -hmm. All the foods that you love that you might feel triggered by or you might think of as bad will be there for the rest of your life. So we could either learn to live with it or just be in this constant love-hate relationship that just never gets us anywhere. So flexible carbs were created to give people the opportunity and the permission and to make it even something that can be included in the book. If you're looking for something more structured, because a lot of people still benefit from structure. Mm -hmm. They want the structure while they're working at everything else. I outline the amounts of carbs, proteins, and fats that one can aim for depending on their goals, depending on their needs, nutritional needs. So there's a little formula to figure that out. And the carbs could be exchanged for something else, anything else, alcohol, a cupcake, French fries, pretzels, ice cream, anything they want. Mm -hmm. So they can take a carb or two serving and exchange that or replace that for a dessert or treat or something even that comes up spontaneously. Was this once a day or was this yeah. like a once a week thing? I wasn't very sure. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's kind of whatever they feel like they need. Okay. And that's what I really like try to keep the whole plan in itself is supposed mm -hmm. to feel flexible and yeah. supposed to be as personalized as possible without me knowing each and every reader and what their needs are. So that was my intention because there's not many diet plans out there that do incorporate that, but are personalized, that are flexible. And I think that's just so important. Mm -hmm. So it really is there for the taking every day. Mm -hmm. Or if you're someone that's like, no, I don't want to have chocolate every night. In fact, if I do, I feel like I'll just think about it more. Okay, fine. I think there's more to, to unpack there <laughs> and about why that's happening. But if, you know, we can't get into it as a reader, I'm not working with somebody one-on-one -on -one, or they can't, you know, come to me for whatever a reason, mm -hmm. then this is a good start at least. So it could be every day or you could, they could have it once a week or they could have it a few times a week, or they could just save it for when it comes up. Like they don't have to, you don't have to go out of your way to look for it, but it's more of, okay, if, you know, somebody brings 
brownies into into the office. You don't have to feel like you have to say no all the time. Yeah. And having a brownie doesn't mean you're off the plan. Doesn't mean you're off the diet. And that's also so important to work on that all or nothing mindset, which is what I go into in the first part of the book with the relationship with food. Yeah, that was super helpful. So I highly recommend looking at that. If someone has a goal to have a body shift, either like weight gain or weight loss, whatever their goal is, like what is a realistic yeah. timeline for to see those differences? And like, when should you say you started diet changes? Is there a certain time? that you should like stay on that before you change something else if it's not working anything like that I always emphasize the importance of being patient of giving your body time and people are so quick to use the scale to determine their progress and if they don't see that they lost any weight in even a few days some people weigh themselves every day Mm -hmm. or even a week then they automatically assume it's not working they fall off track or they resort to something more extreme and they don't need to so they act to prematurely. I say about three weeks. I say about three weeks, give or take. And that's just like an amount of time that really is enough time to make sure it's working. Because what's interesting, and I don't know if anybody else has noticed this ever, but I see it in my practice, even with myself, that you might have like a week or two where you just know maybe right before your period or you were on vacation and you were drinking a little bit more and eating out. And you kind of know, I was eating a little bit more than normal or I wasn't really paying attention. I was doing more stress eating or mindless eating. I just know I was. You might get on the scale and say, oh, my weight was the same. Interesting. That's so, you know, I thought I'm for sure gain weight. Mm -hmm. And then it's not until like a week later that the scale actually goes up. It's almost like a delayed reaction. Yeah. And it can happen in both ways. So I also see that with weight loss that people will say, this is crazy. I've been working so hard. I've been trying. So I've been meal prepping, going to the gym three, four times a week, getting my water in, getting my sleep in every night, doing all the things. And it's not until a week or two later that I'll start to really see it on the scale. And the scale in itself can lie. And we can't always take it for face value because it doesn't account for changes in muscle mass and water fluctuations. And that's another reason why you want to be more patient because if you're weighing yourself every day, it's going to fluctuate. You're never going to remain one number mm-hmm. all of the time without fail because our our body and our, our weight is about an average of 60% water. So if your weight is about 60% water and you see a pound or two go up on the scale, that cannot be all body fat. By that logic, there's no way that's all body fat. And it's so important for people to remember because they're so, they get so defeated and discouraged and disheartened and they want to throw in the towel and like, I'm done with this. And, you know, what are you done with? First of all, you know, you have to, you're, whatever changes you're making to your eating habits, you have to put health at the forefront. Yeah. You're doing it to be healthy. And that's why it can be really unproductive if weight loss is your only objective. If you're only making these changes and only doing these things for yourself for weight loss, it's, it could be really hard to sustain. It can mm-hmm. get really unmotivating. So that's another thing to remember. What if you feel like you're at a plateau? What do you recommend like normally changing? Is it like exercise plan? Is it like changing something or is it sticking it out? Like how, what do you do for plateauing if you feel like you're in a plateau? A, let's define plateau and mm-hmm. figure out, is it really a plateau or, you know, have you built, have you gained to muscle or water and looking to see if there's any other positives that came out of it? Because the, the, the issue is if someone's at a plateau, but they're also eating very little and exercising as much as they can. It's not just because the scale isn't moving. Doesn't mean that nothing is happening. Nothing is changing. And of course, if they're eating very little and exercising Mm -hmm. a lot, that's also not 
can't do, we can't eat less and eat more. And that's just going to end in. And like you mentioned too, before, sometimes that just stresses out your body more. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you will stall or stop making progress because you're too much in a calorie deficit Mm -hmm. or too far deep in your starvation zone that your body is now stressed out. Your cortisol is high. It's storing fat instead of burning it. You're losing muscle and all these other things are happening. And you know, you're just not going to see progress. So some people, they need to actually liberalize their diet. They need to exercise less and eat more for a certain period of time. And then maybe we consider going down again, or maybe we stay there if they're feeling a lot better and they don't want to. And some people have to just reconsider their weight loss goal. If you're on a plateau, but you're doing the most, Mm -hmm. then we need to talk about what your goals are. And is this healthy for you? And is it realistic? There's times where we can explore, okay, let's look at your blood work. Mm -hmm. You know, the only reason I don't always start off with that I think it's important for everybody to get blood work because we always want to rule out any conditions or treat things like vitamin D deficiency, cholesterol, thyroid, iron. But the only reason I don't always say like, okay, you haven't had your thyroid tested. Let's go get that. It's because people then get like diagnosis disappointment. Then they say, Uh, oh, it wasn't my thyroid. Then what could it be? And they get more frustrated. And so I wouldn't just send somebody for that unless I really thought there's other things going Mm, on in symptoms. Unless the person was like, no, I'm, I want to do it anyway. I haven't done it. My friends in my family, I would like to know. Okay, but let's just, before you go in and you go through all of that, um, you know, it's always helpful, but just remember it might not be that and we might have to prepare for the possibility that it's just nothing. There's nothing wrong. Your body's just like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm happy. Leave me alone. <laughs> I know I weighed less on my wedding day or, you know, when I was 18, but you know, that's not where I want to be in yeah. my, in, at 45 after three kids with a stressful job and not getting sleep because you have obligations. Like that's not where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. So there is always other things we can do. We can try supplements. We can do blood work. We could do food intolerance testing, which isn't so scientific, but some people think that really helps them and we can't ignore the anecdotes. Yeah. So there's always more we can do, but I hate sending people on this wild goose chase. Sometimes they're like, okay, now I've spent $5,000. I have no diagnosis to report. Yeah. I'm no less better than when I started. And, you know, and that sucks. And I, so I always am realistic with people. We could do this. I'm just not sure this is what it is. You don't have any other risk factors. I doubt it's thyroid. Uh, we could look at, at PCOS. Sometimes that's it too. But if you don't have any acne or regular periods or family history of diabetes or hair issues, growth or loss anywhere, Mm -hmm. then might not be that. We could look at your cortisol awakening response, which is the most accurate way to test for that. But there's not always so much we can do there. We could look at your GI, do GI mapping and stool testing, but that probably isn't going to really affect your weight. You could put you on probiotics, which is important because you hear, you could listen to things like, oh, you know, it's definitely, everything's your gut. And if you do this and you do that, you will lose weight because our metabolism, it's people speak so dogmatically when they just don't have the evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see people being misled. So. Wow, that was yeah. super helpful. It's so true because you like almost want like the obvious answer when the answer is not necessarily that yeah. obvious. So yeah, yeah, you can go on a goose. Yeah, ch- hunt. you want someone to be like, 
oh, this is definitely what it is. I'm going to, you know, yeah. give you this treatment and you'll be fine. And, you know, and a lot of times it's not in their head. And I think people sometimes they're made to feel like, oh, it's in your head. You know, it's nothing. It might be happening. You might be having these symptoms. Your body might be at a weight that's higher than what's healthy. And you, you know, maybe there is more weight to lose. Mm-hmm. It's not so simple. And you're not going to get anyone with a magic wand. Mm-hmm. Two things that are really major right now. One I want to ask you about is intermittent fasting because this is very much like do this and everything, all your prayers will be answered. And the other one that's very much in the news right now is Ozempic and people using like diabetes. I'm very curious on your thoughts on both of those. Intermittent fasting is just going strong. It's going strong. It's definitely like I would say getting a little less popular, thankfully, finally, because Mm -hmm. there was a time where it was always, I used to do a lot of, I still do a lot of corporate seminars for these offices. And it was always, I always save time at the end for questions. It was always a question. What about intermittent fasting? (laughs) So this is what I say about it. Uh At first, when it came out, when it really got more popular, um, I would say there was a lot of positive research favoring it, promoting it, and showing the results of it and the effectiveness for lowering insulin, even improving digestion, um, anti-aging, weight loss, of course, gut health, all of these things. And then, like with everything, and not to my surprise, we started seeing more research showing that it can have less positive effects, especially on women who are premenopausal, 20s, 30s, low 40s, showing that it can mess with hormones. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really help with weight loss. It can stress out their body, cause more muscle loss, Mm -hmm. and that it's not great for relationship with food. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Is that if you're eating by a predetermined clock, you're not listening to your own internal clock. Mm -hmm. You're listening to somebody else. So anytime you're listening to somebody else or some other plan or something other than what your body is telling you, it can go down a very distorted and disordered path. Mm -hmm. And you can get more disconnected. That's the thing. And if you're not practicing hunger and fullness, you're going to lose the skill entirely, but Mm -hmm. it can get harder and harder to be in touch with that when you're now it purposely ignoring it. Yeah. And with intermittent fasting, you are, yeah. you know, even though, but no, between the hours of 12 and eight, I do listen to my body. I'm like, but you're not, you can't just like pick and choose. Like you're either listening to your body or you're not. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I wouldn't say I hate it. And that I like convince people to stop it. We still work together and figure out a way around it. If someone says, I just don't like breakfast. I hate it. I eat it and I don't feel better. And mm-hmm. I actually feel hungrier fine. I'm not going to argue. I would always say that, again, you're the boss, you know your body, and I cannot say that I know better than you do. So we would figure that out together. But there's still a ton of zealots, intermittent fasting, groupies and fans and people who really swear by it and feel their life changed from it. And Mm -hmm. that's great. So keep doing it. Just be careful, you know, still with getting in enough of the food groups, because now you have a shortened window of when you can get enough fiber and protein and fat and micronutrients into your day. So you have to be more strategic and just really make sure you're being honest with yourself. Is it really good for you? Are you just doing it because you think, because you heard, because your friend, your coworker, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband is doing it and likes it. So really just be honest with yourself. You almost feel like getting judged when you eat breakfast. I feel like when and you're not oh, yeah. doing it, someone's like, you're eating breakfast. I don't yeah. eat it's breakfast. Like, I eat it new. Like, so yeah. not cool anymore to eat breakfast. Yeah. I know. That is also the hard thing. And I think there's a, always been a lot of people who hated breakfast. And I feel like they were mm-hmm. so happy mm-hmm. that they now they have get their this excuse. excuse <laughs> and they could be like, well, I'm intermittent fasting. It's like, no, you just always hated breakfast. Let's be <laughs> honest. And you're using this so that you can justify not doing it. But, <laughs> but yes, I know breakfast has become, but I'm still a big breakfast mm-hmm. eater, believer, preacher, and I am team breakfast all the way. And then there's the Ozempic, AKA the skinny shot yeah. that people are 
really struggling with. I see both sides of it. I see people who could really benefit and need it, mm-hmm. um, not having access to it or being scared to take it or mm-hmm. stop it because they're worried about the side effects because now we're being warned. And I think the warnings are really for the people who don't need it. Yeah. Who are taking it because they want to lose five pounds, like the celebrities like Chelsea Handler and Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, you know, <laughs> like you're just now just taking advantage. And because, you know, I'm sure their insurance wasn't covering and they could afford the thousands. Yeah way more than afford a million Ozempic shots a month. It's so enticing for other people. It's so enticing. I actually just was watching a documentary, some big documentary person Mm -hmm. about this specific thing. And there was, I guess, some kind of podcast interview. I don't even know because I don't watch that those shows, some of those shows, those Bravo shows, but like these two women, I think they were like a real estate agents. And one of them was like, oh, you know, can I just say, like, you look so skinny and you need to stop? And she goes, thank you so much. No, I can you know, thank you so much. You never hear that you could be too skinny enough. And they were basically, like, promoting it mm-hmm. and praising her. Mm-hmm. She was already clearly looked like someone that did not need to lose weight. In fact, yeah. I would never assume there's people that can look underweight but are not. Mm-hmm. But she didn't need to be taking it. Let's just put it that way. And they were, like, praising her for being so skinny. And then she was basically, like, yeah. saying, yeah, I know. I love this drug. And that's just so horrible. There's so many – just so wrong and yeah. dangerous that this is what people are listening to. But I'm sure most people that know – okay, red flag, that's that's – they know, they know better, but in the wrong hands, the wrong ears, that could be really detrimental. Mm-hmm. And it's just another example of why this has been such a big topic and headline. Um, Cause anyone can get it, lose weight and that's it. But I will say it's not a quick fix. I still have clients on it who only lose a certain amount of weight. Mm-hmm. The weight loss does stall, which is why I like it better than the center means and the other drugs that are just like speed and really take away your appetite. Cause this isn't something that's going to really take away your appetite. It's going to curb it. It's going to decrease the cravings. It's going to help you pick a little less, maybe think a little less. Um, and again, there are people that need it. And I say, look, if you went to your doctor and you said, I, you went to a psychiatrist and you said, I have depression, they might put you on antidepressant and then send you to a therapist to work through the depression symptoms and then decide if you can need to continue taking the antidepressants or not. And some people do. Mm-hmm. So it can be, not always, it can be similar to that where somebody who's really struggling with binge eating or overeating or stress eating, and they are clinically, let's put it this way, they have a very high BMI and a lot of extra body fat that it's affecting their health, then they can go on the Ozempic while they're working on their eating habits, their relationship with food, their lifestyle behaviors, and then eventually maybe stop it. But a lot of people that are stopping it are noticing they're getting hungrier Mm -hmm. and they're gaining the weight back. Like any diet, any fad diet, it's really not so different for the average person. It's a fad diet. You stop the diet, you're going to gain the weight back. You're going to feel hungrier. You're going to have more cravings because your body wasn't eating it. So it's really not much different than that. No, there's no quick fix. I know I have to let you go, but before we wrap, I just have like any last piece of advice or somewhere to start if you are interested in like learning more about food or anything like that, like any last piece from you before I let you go? Look, there's a lot of good information and advice out there. And I do think there's something for everybody. So I always say, listen to the 
podcasts that interest you, follow the accounts that intrigue you, read books, mm -hmm. learn more, meet with professionals. And that's always the first line. I always say dietitians are often used as the last resort, but mm -hmm. they should be used as the first resort. So I, I highly recommend, and yes, I'm a little biased because I am a dietitian, meeting with a professional one-on-one. -on -one, that is the best thing you can ever do, but make sure you find a good fit. Not every dietitian will be the best fit for you. Like not every provider is on every podcast, book, social media account. So just be honest with yourself. Know that you are the boss and the expert of your body. So I might be an expert in nutrition, but you're the expert of your own body and nothing will change that. Mm -hmm. um, and my practice does take health insurance. So we believe nutrition should be a necessity, not a luxury. Mm -hmm. So we take most major health insurance plans. Um, we offer virtual and in-person sessions. It's called the New York Nutrition Group. So if you have any questions, you can reach out. You can follow me on social at Lisa M. Nutrition. And then my book, Core 3 Healthy Eating Plan, which is available on most major retailer platforms like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. The idea behind it was to give people some of the foundational tools and knowledge so that they can learn more about their body, figure out what's going to work for them, and of course, improve their relationship with food. I love it. I can't wait to try some of your recipes at the end too. They look yes, good. Yes. I took a lot of time with that. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. It was very well done. We'll work with you if they're not in the city too. They can do it, you said, virtually. So. Yeah. In, anywhere in New York State, and there are several other states that we can work in. Okay. Yes, it just depends, but like Florida, California, New Jersey, um, and a few others as okay. well. Okay, perfect. Yep. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I learned a lot, and you're so great to talk to. So thank you. Aww. Have a great day. Likewise. Thank you. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, follow, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And in the spirit of sharing, be sure to share the podcast with a friend or give us some love on social media and tag us at Something to Share Podcast on Instagram. See you next Wednesday.